teaching, you know, all the stuff that we learned the hard way, can we please pass it on to others so it becomes easier? Well, folks, the original recordings of this podcast ended at the two-year mark in May of 2023. I find myself surrounded by special people who have asked that we put the podcast on simmer instead of taking it away completely. I've also gotten feedback that our regular followers didn't know about certain episodes. There are so many and so many good ones. So as I'm the cast iron skillet and Abby is the Instapot, We have a new sous chef, Kate, who's added her own seasoning. Kate said, we've done our meal prep and our summer episodes are in the freezer ready for consumption at any time. So we're going to roll out our favorites every other week instead of every week. And you're going to see Kate's picks and Jana's picks and Royce's picks and Hannah's picks and many others. Thanks to this new crew who are persistent in making sure that this podcast does not completely go away. I'm grateful to each of you and what you have contributed. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders. To those of us who have been around for a while, I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Allie summed up the intent of this podcast in one sentence when she said, all the stuff we learned the hard way, can we please pass it along so it can become easier? Allie Spots DeLazar is a certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor, licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a skillful teacher here and in her book, Meaningful, about terminology, acronyms, types of therapists, types of specialties, and more. She asks us as professionals to stop perpetuating the myth that eating disorders are about control and how setting boundaries brings the safety that is needed for true recovery. In here, she shares some advice she received from Carolyn Costin, so listen for that nugget that may help you as well. Last but very not least is her book, Meaningful, and it's inspired by both personal and professional experiences that Allie authored, 23 life-changing stories of conquering dieting, weight, and body image issues. It is full of diverse stories with expert insights along the way that can help readers to feel seen, validated, and hopeful. We are here today with Allie and so excited. And I want you to say your last name because I have heard it different ways. Okay. So my last name is actually just plainly said as Spots de Lazar. However, I recently did find out that it actually is of French origin. So the many times that people are like de Lazar and I feel so fancy and I love it and I don't correct them. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Okay. So you've said it and I'm going to leave it at that. Anyone listening can pick either. Okay. (laughs) Great. Well, we're going to ask you a couple of icebreakers and then I'm going to get into some of the hard questions, but I just want to know you, you have so much to teach us today. Thank you. I'm actually really honored to be here and I love the concept of teaching, you know, all the stuff that we learned the hard way, can we please pass it on to others so it becomes easier? (laughs) For sure. 
Okay, so I'm going to start off, but just highlighting what Beth has already said. We're so excited to have you. And again, for everybody listening, if I still sound really funky, I'm still sick. So we're moving past it. But again, I could not not talk to Allie. That's why that's why I'm here sounding like this. But starting off here, Allie, mountains or beach? Oh, mountains. Okay. Fast. How can you know, that's funny. My, Michael, my husband and wow, that was weird. I just said both, but my husband and I actually talk about in the future where we want to go, because I don't know if, you know, that I'm not sure that, you know, for three miles, a 15 minute drive is going to always work for us. And so we talk about this a lot and I love trees, nature, animal as I grew up on the beach. So for me, I feel like I've already had that beauty And there's something about the community of trees and animals and everything being so unpredictable that you can see. You can't see all that below the surface of the ocean. That was a great answer. I love that. (laughs) And then breakfast or dinner? Oh, dinner for sure. What's your, what is your ideal dinner? Give so, uh, I've been asked that before at this point, because My husband is very Midwest, so that influence over what we eat is, um, you know, typically like we we he's very like Midwest, so sushi is not something that happens very often. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to sushi with you anytime, except we're about fifteen hundred miles apart. So, oh, it is just so delightful, and no matter what I have tried, he's like, (laughs) (laughs) is he from the Midwest? Very Chicago. Okay. Uh, yeah. But you're on the, on the West coast. Yeah. Okay. So quick, funny thing is, so we were, I was making stuffing for Thanksgiving and his mom gave me his favorite recipe and it included fennel. So I go get fennel and I chop it up and I'm like, how much do I put in? And she's like, just a sprinkle baby. And I go, um, a spring, a, but it's, I don't understand. Finally, she says the word seeds. Um. <laughs> And I was like, this is so weird. (laughs) Oh, that is great. Okay. Okay. Audio book or paper book? Oh, now that is a 50-50. I love how the pages feel, flagging them, highlighting them. I'm the slowest reader in the world. So to actually get me to finish the whole thing, it's going to have to be audio. And it's, it's a little more like a session. I can remember it. Paper books, I don't always finish because I read so slow. I actually get bored with myself. Yes. <laughs> However, we're going to talk about your book later. And that is I don't quick, get bored with myself there. It's a quick read. <laughs> I mean, for any of you who feel like Allie, where you bore yourself as you're reading, because I'm in the same boat, oh, that one was a quick read. Thank so. you. I actually took a speed reading class in college because I was so slow. Yeah. It didn't help. Yeah, I keep thinking about my speed reading class that I had to take. This was in grade oh, school. I know. And and I, I mean, now I still think about it and I think, what is wrong with me? me so too. I like audiobook also, but paper, a lot of people like holding something in their hand or circling. And Okay, so how about we do a combination? Who's going to read it to us? <gasps> yes. <laughs> we'll read with our copies, but somebody has to read it to us. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'll sign up. You read it. I'll sign up. 
Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to take you back. You are a, well, can you tell us a little bit about your credentials? Because I don't want to butcher that. And I'm going to do a full bio in the show notes. Sure. But tell us about your background. Actually, this comes up a lot also with people that I meet. All the initials, the MFT, PsyD, all the different initials. Who's a therapist? Who's medication? So if you're good with it, I'd love to just give an overview of all of it. Absolutely. So your social workers, things that combine with SW, whether it's MSW, LMSW, I mean, there's so many different acronyms, but social worker in a nutshell, and anyone can correct me, but my general information that I've gotten in a nutshell is social workers are often a bit more trained with agencies and organizational work and, and helping out in those ways, and they can do therapy. Psychiatrists are your medical doctors who are trained in the medical. They are official doctors. They can do therapy and they can do medication management. We all, you know, if we had a Venn diagram, we all cross over in the psychotherapy realm. And I wish we could do a diagram of it. You've got your LPCCs or your licensed professional counselors, licensed professional clinical counselors. For me in California, that was my second license. And what I learned was really the difference is my MFT, marriage and family therapist, came with a lot of training on marriage and family therapy. So that means I'm really, for me, I'm really schooled in family systems, how to work with couples, how to do full family work. Like we're trained in it. And I think it was funny one day, I kind of realized, oh my gosh, my degree actually gives me a specialty. I work in family systems. I love families. The LPCC, when I was training for that, gave me more training on vocational and more career focus. I had to take a career class to make up for what I didn't have in the MFT license. Now, in the middle of this Venn diagram, all of us do therapy. Now, I thought about getting a psychologist, a degree that would match me up to become a psychologist, which is a higher level. Those also do therapy, and sometimes their specialties are really in testing, and they can do a lot more with testing, disability evaluations, forensics, like they've got just a different, more refined specialty. So I hope that that gives a tiny bit, you're nodding, so at least it feels like I'm tracking. I don't want to offend anyone's licenses, but you know, for, for lay people, that's kind of how I first learned how all the differences were. But in that middle, we all can do therapy. And I like to know if my psychiatrists are also doing therapy or primarily medication management. My gosh, you're a teacher at heart too. I just, I mean, listening to you, starting from the basics for those of us, because Abby and I were like, what are all these? She was saying, what does this mean? And this podcast is for all professionals. So you probably lost the, you know, in the first five minutes in that description, because that's old news for the therapists, the people who do therapy, but for the dietitians, other medical providers, strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, those kinds of the, the, the they're just like soaking it up and saying okay right. now this makes sense thank you Allie oh my gosh my pleasure because I have you know I have patients clients people whatever words we all want to use to 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 identify but they'll call me doctor and I'm not I'm an MFT that's not a doctorate level neither is an LPCC so I you know with care call myself Allie 
That's I awesome. correct them without pulling it as a correction, but I don't want to be misleading. So Allie, this was the question that I was going to bring back is I don't want to traumatize you, but I'm going to bring you back to your board exams. Is that what that is for? <laughs> like, what do you remember from those days? How many of your licenses did you have to take a separate exam for? And then supervision. Those are you the know, things. I think, so. yes. Okay. Supervision, licenses. It's okay to just kind of give what was meaningful to me in the process. Everybody has to go through the exams. Sometimes the exams, we're actually not really allowed to talk details because we sign that we won't. Mm -hmm. I can say, you know, the way that the exams are put together, I don't really know if it honors the indication of a good clinician. You just have to pass them. You have to pass them and get licensed. What to me was far more meaningful was the training. And there was a moment in my training, like, here's the thing. I was going, when I was in therapy school, I went to be an excellent student because that's kind of me. It's part of my identity. I've always been an excellent student. I mean, I'd always be the last to finish, which is kind of hilarious because I was, I, I never really thought I was that smart. I just thought I was a super hard worker because again, I read so slow. <laughs> so I, like everyone else would be done and I'd still get straight A's most of the time, but I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm not done. <laughs> so far more meaningful than the exams and passing them. And what I learned there was a moment with Carolyn Costin. And I've told this in, in different scenarios, but I really, really believe that this changed me as a clinician and why I have people who come back after years when they struggle with something else. Like, uh, I just I just so firmly believe in this. And I'm, I, I'm very careful with how I speak because I don't ever want to put anyone or anything down while trying to say this was really meaningful to me. So I want to say that out the gate, what will work for each of us will be very, very different. And in some ways, maybe this doesn't serve me. And I will tell you what I'm talking about. So one day I'm volunteering at Montanito, or maybe I was in the intern or associate at the time it was called an intern then, I don't remember. But I was at Montanito. And so I had really wonderful supervisors really strong, multiple. And Carolyn pulled me aside and she said, listen, you've got to stop with this, like talking like a therapist thing. Now, remember, I may remember this in a slightly different way, but this is what I took from it. And I was like, what do you mean? Because I would sit straight. I would say, well, the multi-general, tra the multi-generational transmission of the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I look back and I feel a little bit silly, but I loved that Carolyn cared enough to stop me and say, listen, people need you to talk like a human being. Mm. And I was horrified mm. because I'm a smut mouth. I swear all the time. I just, I've never wanted to stop it. You know, even when people say it might not serve you, I'm like, well, I can control it most of the time at presentations. <laughs> I stress most of the time, not always. But no, I don't think it's ever, well, whatever. So I, I got really, really scared. And she's like, you have to be authentic as a therapist or people aren't going to trust you, especially mm. your canaries in the coal mine. Mm. And this population mm. is a canary in the coal mine. So if they hear me in an aisle at the store swearing away with my friends or talking in a way that's so different than how I am in meetings with them, 
that's not going to work. Mm. If they're going to sense a, a thing of inauthenticity. Now, what's been tricky in this is sometimes I've had judgment from other clinicians because some of the feedback I get from my people is that I feel like talking to a friend. Now, I think that's awesome because I know that underneath what I'm saying is I'm challenging a cognitive distortion. I'm putting the executive system in charge. I, I know what I'm doing and I can translate it, but I'm probably delivering it in a way that feels like talking to a friend. And so mm. for me, when people say, you know, you, you've always felt like talking to a friend, I've even had some people challenge me with, you know, what are you doing clinically? And then I'm happy to break it down. But that is something that I think changed the way I practiced and practice. And it brings a lot more joy. I laugh. We laugh a lot because I do laugh. And sometimes I even laugh, you know, sometimes something's painful and we both laugh because sometimes, you know, it's just how we deal as humans. So I think having that encouragement to be myself, even, you know, I'm going to push this a little further. I think part of the development, a lot of us go into this and continue to find who we are. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I started off as a wounded healer because I made sure I was not, because for me, I could not be in the room. I, I do, I am a recovered clinician. And that's part of the reason I was so attracted to Carolyn Costin and her philosophies because it was like a dirty secret in the world mm -hmm. because no one believed you could be recovered. And I was like, but I, I, I think I am. Mm -hmm. So she gave me a voice about that. Nice. Her books did way before I, I was like, oh my God, she's in my backyard. Gosh, she's in my backyard. I can, you know, figure yeah. out how to get there. Yeah. Uh, so I can learn and, and learn from her people and her training. I just credit that authenticity with it's, you know, I, people told me that this is a hard population. You're not going to last. It's going to, you know, it wears a lot of people out, blah, 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 blah. And I think the authenticity and the fun and finding my people to geek out with Beth, you and I geek out finding the yes, right answers we do oh my gosh i, I say that so much fun being in the field this long it's true that it can there can be a lot of burnout that there can be a lot of just heaviness and but you do find your folks that you connect with that you laugh with in trying to find the perfect word. You and I were so funny trying to find a perfect word. And I don't mean perfect in a pathological way. We were just like, oh, it's not expressing it properly. <laughs> <laughs> and there were some, there were some F-bombs being dropped there too, to be authentic to yourself and myself. But yeah, poor Abby, when we first started, we, before we hit record, she's probably looking at me like, Beth, whoa. No, I loved it. I okay, when you okay. dropped that F bomb earlier, I was like, oh my God, this is a side of Beth I've never seen. That's why I love Allie and finding her in this. We found we met each other just on a on a whim. We both needed a ride to the airport from a conference and ended up in the same gate and we just we connected. So it's been ever since then that we know we can be who we are around each other. And I, I have always trusted you where you were easy. My body was relaxed around you. We laughed like, and then I had the opportunity to work under you and you are a kick ass leader. Oh, yeah. I leader. won't say under because Allie, you were right there side by side, just helping to kick ass. So back to, and these are some really important nuggets you've already shared with, I mean, we can, you know, mic drop, we're done. Allie has <laughs> taught us so much already. 
back to where you were coming into the field and recognizing that tests are really just like something you have to get through. Oh, it's this authenticity. Well, to be honest, I was irate at the end of my tests because I thought some of the questions were just so like, what, who, it, what were those answers? None of them were good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so mad. I was like indignant. Yeah. And so I told you it could be traumatizing to bring you back to that time. So then how did you get into the field of eating disorders and how oh, did you learn what you learned? Did, were you taught easy. some of this in school? And No, no. Schools do not. And I've done a lot of research and blogging and publishing on how little training and I try to educate I, one of my advocacy points is helping the public understand that if somebody checks the box that they treat eating disorders, you need to vet, 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 vet. Anyone can check that box and they're not trying to be unethical. I really don't believe, but you can't know what you don't know. And when I graduated from graduate school, I, I had already put myself in an eating disorder traineeship, residential. I'd already, you know, started uh, during my traineeship and internship. I had a really cool community agency that I balanced it with. And they let me form an eating disorder outpatient treatment. Like everyone with eating disorders got put to me. And then I'd work with my supervisors on, you know, my regular supervisor, my eating disorder supervisor. I got to help educate within that, you know, it was a, a bit audacious that a trainee would be giving a lecture, but I made sure everything was cited because I remembered a lady saying, I have 20 clients and they're all young adults and I don't have any eating disorders. And she was very arrogant about it. And I was like, yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. You're not asking. And it, anyone who knows me knows that if I get angry in a way that scares me to protect people, I will do something. I will write something. I will make a lecture. It will be friendly and kind, but it will come from a spot of when she said that I was like, oh my God, I've never presented on anything like, gosh, I've never presented on anything like this, but I'm going to have to cite everything. I'm going to have to be super gracious so that people don't think I'm some sort of arrogant snot head. But I need to teach these people because they're letting people possibly lose the quality of their health and life for so much longer while they're paying to get better. No, no, not okay with that. When did you first notice that protective part of yourself? I love oh, the way you describe it, that when that pops up, you know what you need to do. Ooh, uh, in this field, it really has brought it to a head. But to be honest, I go back to being on the playground when girls would be mean to other girls and I would jump in front. Like I was not popular, but I was protective. And anyone who needed protection would come fish me out and pull me on their side. <laughs> <laughs> that I remember very, I was not popular, but boy, when people needed someone to support, I remember they'd come find me. And I loved that. Awesome. All right. So you got into the field that way, partially through the community mental health system. Oh, no. How I got into the field. No, I, st I started in grad school. I always like I wrote my grad thesis on eating like it was just that's why it was so funny to me that people kept saying, you know, this may not be for you. People come in gung ho and passionate like you all the time got and they it. quit. And I'm just like, first of all, do you know me? Persistence is probably going to have to be added to my name legally. <laughs> and you know, for me, uh, truthfully, how I got there was I never thought, and it's in Meaningful, but I talk about how Meaningful 23 Stories of Conquering Dieting, Weight, and Body Image Issues, 
I share a memoir, a mini memoir. I'm not going to fill 230 pages of my life ever, but I did look at the highlights of how did I get better and how did I get in this field? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that I thought I kind of owed it to eating disorders is I never thought I'd be better. I never really wanted to be better until I wanted to be. And so I thought, gosh, you know, if I can get better, then I hold such a big outside of the bell curve level of hope for so many others to get better. Mm. Mm. Never wanted to be better until I wanted to be. And because I've read the book, I'm also just thinking about those times where you realize that you really thought you were and you weren't and how you knew that. So I want, we can move into the book because I just want people to know about it. And I, I'm going to say this as a clinician also, I have recommended it to almost every client because there's pieces in it that really could resonate for them. And I always preface it with, this is, you're not going to see yourself in there. You have your own story, but you're going to see parts of what you've experienced just from what you've told me that will help you know you're not alone. Oh, thank you. And there was... There was also a piece of this that I did for clinicians, believe it or not. I, I, the, the span of it, and not necessarily eating disorder specialists, but generalists who don't understand the subjective experience of eating disorders and body image issues that don't know the difference between diet mentality and non-diet mentality, that don't know that sometimes recommending what typically gets recommended as remedies actually can make their clients sicker, that there are hair fine differences between diagnostic, you know, what it looks like in the room, what it hears like can switch a diagnosis. So thank you so much for, for that. Part of it was also, I didn't see any other books really looking at educating clinicians about what they don't know that they don't know with that. And I don't ever like, I hate notice the passion online when people are like, I need to educate you. No, we need to share. I think, I believe we need to share stories so that we learn in a way that doesn't degrade each other, but lifts us up. Well, and what I think is so cool about the book is it can, you can feel bogged down from so much scientific information about this and that, but with meaningful It's stories and people like to read stories and like Beth said, you can relate to those stories. So you're learning, but it almost doesn't feel like you're learning because it's enjoyable. (laughs) We're celebrating here because that's what was, yeah. That was like, and uh, you know, people, it took forever to come up with the hope line because, you know, honestly, I wanted secondary learning to be a huge piece of it, but you can't Mm -hmm. tell someone, hey, I snuck the learning underneath so that you're going to be educated too. Yeah. No, like teaching doesn't feel, it feels, I'm not an expert. We're all experts. We're all experts on ourselves. And a couple things. Number one, Beth, when you said that, I actually have a paragraph in there that says, this is like going into a store where everything's catered to conquering these things. And many of them may be in ways that you don't expect, Mm -hmm. but you get to pick, choose, try out, put back on the shelf anything. There's like no plan, no program, no musts in here. And what I've also learned in some of the feedback I've gotten on it is that 
sometimes that infuriates people. And I'll share something. It knocked me off off my center for a little bit because I'm not used to being kind of so exposed, to be honest. Like I just made the you know analogy that I feel like I've taken off my clothes, walked down to Ventura Boulevard and have a sandwich sign on me that says, please rate one to five stars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whew, It's really naked. Yeah. Um, but one of the feedbacks that originally I freaked out on, it said, I found this book really triggering with all the talk of calories and diets. And I thought, oh my God, did I slip? I did my best to tease out what was triggering, what was not. And then I talked to myself and I'm like, wait, you drive down the street and you can be triggered by the freeze your fat off signs, cookie diet. But what I realized is I was like, let me see how many times, because I'm pretty sure I don't put the O words in it. I didn't use the word cal. Like I was pretty mindful of calories being shifted to fuel so that the reader would just start to identify that as fuel instead of calories. I just, I started with mentioning the war on obesity, but then never used the O word again. I don't believe, except maybe once through a title, because I want to just make it natural to use these other words that are more respectful. Mm. So I thought, oh my gosh, did I fail? And I, I kind of had that like choke moment. There are 30 mentions of the word calorie in this almost 60,000 word book and never are there numbers applied to it. So she felt triggered, I think, because the book doesn't give you a follow this and you'll be fine. It gives you a, this is your self-responsibility. You build your own path, but here's some, here's some ways. I'm not going to tell you how, because that's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, so, so true. So thank you. And I hope that's not shoving off my own responsibility, but I was like triggering diets. Wait, like what? Does that make sense to you too as I say that? Yeah, it does. And I wanted to highlight that because this podcast is for professionals, we are not censoring the weight talk, the numbers talk, the diet specific diet talk. Now, does that mean that people aren't going to who are in recovery or trying for recovery aren't going to stumble across this and hear it and get triggered? That's true. Um, But I think it's it. We don't know, Allie, like you said, you said, I think we just don't know that particular reader's story. And you know what, when we, when any of us, listen, this is even for clinicians who, you know, there's two movements right now in the field that I'm going to regret that I'm opening my mouth about, but some people think that you can be an ethical, appropriate provider while still being sick. And some people don't, and that's not a for anyone to judge except the person who is ethically managing, clinically managing, and legally managing their practice. So we couldn't trigger each other not knowing somebody has slipped or that somebody's thinking about becoming a therapist and they didn't know they'd get triggered. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like, it's all grist for the mill, but I'm still not going to use the O words just because it hurts people. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to pull out on page 29. Oh my gosh. This is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I underlined something and the part that leads up to the underlined is, okay, here's what I discovered to be balanced. We need to know and say our limits. And this is the part I underlined was boundaries do not equal bitchy. They translate into self-protection and safety. Safety is a word I've been hearing a lot. Oh, yes. Yes. What would you, where shall we go? Oh, I just, just, um, (laughs) 
I know we could have a whole separate podcast just on that statement. Boundaries do not equal bitchy. They translate into self-protection and safety. You know, for the person who might be getting the no or the person who might be getting the boundary, maybe they're mad because it's inconvenient that someone knows themselves well enough to say where their limits are for feeling safe and not safe in the world for how much this, okay, this goes to a professional discussion that was being had on a social media page the other day. It was about, you know, there some people say that eating disorders are all about control and that myth is being perpetuated in the world. And I'm please, I'm begging anyone listening to please, please do not perpetuate that myth as the exclusive reason. There are many, many adaptive functions and also think about what's underneath control. Am I needing and wanting to have some stuff in order because I want to feel safer in the world, because my life is chaotic and I want to feel more in place? Do I want to feel more socially acceptable? Do I want, like, there's a piece of safety, I think, that falls underneath the word control often, and we are doing such a disservice by speaking in ways that say, this is the truth about. Eating disorders are not all about control. And I will freak out on you on social media, most likely, if I run into that, because it really, like, it, it upsets me because it's trivializing. And then I've got people who have said, well, I, I, am I a control freak because I have an eating disorder? And then I've got people who say, well, I, I don't think this is about control. So I didn't think that I could have an eating disorder. Mm. We are not doing a service to the public by limiting how to identify or cure these. Oh my gosh, pathologizing it. And this is another thing with, with this podcast, but just any of us who have been in the field for a while, what the goal of this is, we don't know what's next. And we can, we can lay to rest some of those old thoughts that parents can't be involved or the best allies at times for their recovery, things like calling it a, a, a illness of control and even pathologizing some of those Right. So the safety piece is, and this is also as a clinician, and this comes from a conversation with clinicians the other day, so I can say it. You know, some people have said, you know, that they don't like when their clients are rude. And I'm like, well, first of all, what is rude? And what's, be what's beneath the expression? Mm. Like, I, I might have a client come in who is spouting inappropriately, but I have a pretty huge tolerance as long as you're not actually abusing me which I've also had to stop verbally abusing me. But there, for me, there's such a clear line when it becomes verbally abusive versus this person has not learned how to artfully, skillfully express themselves. So sometimes like, and please clinicians do not do this necessarily because this is kind of weird and kind of me. But like if somebody walks in and they're like, you know, do, doing what somebody else may perceive as, as rude, sometimes I'm like, yeah, get it out. You tell me this sucks. I know it's super effed up. Rah, 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 rah. And I'll just jump right emotionally into joining them. And then from there, because now they're safe and I know I'm safe, we can figure out what the hell is underneath what they're actually saying. Yeah. So that they can learn as they learn how to express. Remember, eating disorders so often disconnect us from our internal interoceptive awareness, our inside experiences mm. and labels. Mm. So somebody may be screaming, I feel fat. And then when someone says, well, fat is adipose tissue, you can't feel fat. Well, maybe fat is the only word they have 
at that moment. And although it perpetuates weight stigma, let's find out what that word means to mm, them because maybe yes. it's an emotional expression. Because as dietitians, we're not taught to, we, we are, we hear, oh, that person is rude or they're acting certain. They might we're not. Yeah, they might be, but we are not taught the way that you said is like to accept that. As oh, I wasn't an, taught. No, no. Oh, you weren't. Okay. That just comes from a gut. Even in therapy, you're, you're training. No. You're not taught that that's their expression. That's. Oh, hell no. Ah. In therapy, you are taught a ton of theories, which is okay. why I was spouting theories to Carolyn and at Montanito. Mm. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was such a nerd. <laughs> I didn't fit because I wasn't a person. Yeah. I look at the person who comes here as a person. And what I, that's why I said, please don't do this. If you're mm. faking it and it's not authentic. For mm -hmm. me, I don't want to shame someone for expressing something in a poor way. Mm -hmm. And I remember not knowing what the hell I was expressing. I think, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not saying like my, I don't believe personal experience can apply to everything, but I know that most of us, many of us have to learn about our feelings. So we're not going to be eloquent and in the balance of the box of polite all the time. Mm. I just hope we get there. I do too. I, I, I had gotten some supervision around this recently about just someone who I felt was very flat all the time mm. with, with our, our time together. And I couldn't, I, I, I was having a hard time understanding what was behind that. And in the supervision, it was like, have you asked about that? Have you reflected that to that person? That's not a skill that I, that I, I had to be reminded and how do you do that in a way that doesn't minimize or shame someone? It's freaking artful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. It's hard. That's why I love our multi. I mean, we could talk for hours, but Beth, you and I presented on multidisciplinary team treatment together because part of that is sometimes when you've got someone who's willing to give the time and have these kind of conversations, we help each other. Yeah. You know, so. So that's a big piece of it too, is like, if yeah. we were on a team and you were going through that, we may have actually said, you know, Hey, have you noticed that, you know, mm -hmm. how, what are the sensitivity points that you've noticed? How let's, you know, that way you can help each other figure out how to open this person up without shutting them down more. Mm -hmm. What if so, they were unsafe? What if they, if they expressed passion? Like I've got I remember somebody telling me that my passion felt like I was yelling at them. That wasn't, by the way, that was not a um, client. So mm -hmm. I actually now will check with the client sometimes when I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I'll say, hey, does that feel like I'm yelling at you? <laughs> <laughs> and whatever you answer is, is correct. You don't have to protect me by saying exactly. it wasn't. Okay. So I, I know that we are, I just want to, well, not, we don't, I don't want to cut ever with talking to you. Can you tell people about that uh, talk that we did, the workshop? Because I think it's super important since this is a multidisciplinary podcast for right. all professionals. And, and I see professionals and not even professionals who are specifically geared towards eating disorders care uh, that, that may, they may be recognizing they right. see this and they want to know what to do. So tell us about that workshop. Ah, oh, Beth, may, if it's okay with you, because I can feel that you want to share something, can you open this up? Because we're limited on time and I want to hit the direction you want to hit. Because yeah. we, 
I mean, and listeners like just keep persistent. We got refused. Mm. It was out of the box and Mm. we kept refining it because there's not a lot of research on this. So we really, man, we stepped out. It was a little, it was a little scary. We haven't gotten feedback yet. So, you know, we'll we'll see what we need to refine more and what works. So it is a workshop that was that Allie had dreamt up, which was so important on multidisciplinary care, but it's called staying in your lane, navigating on the scope of practice freeway on the scope of practice freeway. So it's basically how doctors, dietitians, therapists, and therapists in different settings, community mental health settings, private practice settings. We have a medical doctor who is a specialist in eating disorders care for for kids, but also like, how does the doctor talk to the patient client? How does the therapist work with the patient client? If there's not a dietitian available or on the team or able to, and how do we stay in our lane in our scope of practice? It was so fun. It was also fun to talk to each other about, Hey, what have you always wanted to know about what a therapist does? And what, you know, would that be appropriate for you to be able to use? Are we crossing boundaries? Are we stepping on each other's toes? Are we stepping out of our scopes of practice, which is a legal issue, our competence? So uh, the analogy I remember, I think we can summarize this in, in my little goofy analogy of, so you're on the freeway and you've got three lanes and you've got the dotted dividers, but the freeway is eating disorder treatment and the three lanes have the dotted dividers. How do we merge? Where do we merge? When do we have to pull back? How do we share? So if anybody, you know, I don't know how long it'll be online and all of that, but um, I think it's discussion that needs to be happening. There's not a ton of research, Mm -hmm. but we combined four of us and the medical, the dietary, and then an agency and an outpatient clinician, because we wanted to focus on outpatient providers, because in higher levels of care, they're set. You've got your team in yes. outpatient, you've got financial limits, you've got different diversity issues, obstacles to treatment. Uh, you, we have a primarily at this time, I believe, still mostly white treatment providers. Like we, ah, oh, there's just so yes. much. And so it's about, you know, how do we communicate well? Where do we risk harming ourselves, our patients, our people, our clients, whatever we want to call them? So it's it's a topic I hope that we all continue talking about. And yeah. we leaned into our experience and the research that exists. And that doesn't mean we got everything right, but we did our best. And that's yeah. sometimes the only intention we can go with. And sometimes we have to just kind of eat it and go, yeah, we kind of missed that one. Oops. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so right now that particular workshop is being held at the IADEP symposium and that is online through September. And I don't know when this, this recording is going to air. So suffice it to say that this is something that, that Allie and I want to bring to other areas yes. because we know it's so needed. We had a great time putting it together. And I just saw Leslie did a talk on how to communicate with your medical provider, Dr. Um, Kaplan. And I was like, yay. Yeah, so that was cool. So not to take away from meaningful because that is really, really it's current. I, I really want to encourage people to read it, to share it with their clients, you're going to find something in it that will help you through the process. And Abby's nodding her head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. I've been recommending it to a lot of different people. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Allie. Oh, before we go, Abby has a wrap-up question and then how to get a hold of you. Sorry. Yeah. Last thing on meaningful, I just found out it got added to a graduate course because, and I thought that was really cool. And then it was added to recommended reading for the IADEP certification process. Recommended, not required. And I found out that that's partially because it covers such a span. There's not a lot of books that start at, hey, this is quote unquote normal, all the way up to serious clinical eating disorder. So Love it. thank you. That's to that's all the exciting. schools out there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So taking yourself back to entering this field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you know now? It's loaded. Yeah. The amazing amount of generous hearts and minds. If you have a passionate question and you ask, you will find your people. And it is the most beautiful field for supporting each other. It's also, it can be brutal and painful, but that's just, you know, that's just information. I have found some of the most valued souls, hearts, and minds that I've ever come into contact with. And life is like really a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. So mm. not what those people were saying is that you're just going to bury yourself in it and you're going to hate it. Not at all. Oh my, thank you for God. I, I even forgot. I, I did great connection. <laughs> You ever thought of being a therapist, Beth? Uh, no, <laughs> I agree. I'm staying in my lane. <laughs> Thank you. All right. You know, even that piecing that together, was, but Beth, that was beautiful. That was enlightening. And you're absolutely right. For me, it's, I just have met the best, especially women, like women who uplift other women. Abby, you're under Beth's wing. Beth uplifts, like, gosh, find your people and just enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then Allie, where can people find you on social media? Definitely explain your book. If you have a website, all that. Thank you. My therapy website is therapyhelps.us. And it's supposed to be like the sentence, hey, therapy helps us. So T-H-E-R-A-P-Y-H-E-L-P-S dot U-S. And then for the book, all my socials are Meaningful Read, as well as the website is MeaningfulRead.com, but that's Meaningful, F-U-L-L, -L, so that you know there's two L's in the full, because that's the, that's kind of the double meaning of that word. And I think, you know what, I think that that's, there's all, oh, and then there's Shake It for Self-Acceptance, which we didn't talk about at all, but that is the movement. It's a flash mob that embodies its own message. And again, like that's, it's been such a fun journey in the academic world. You know, people are actually really fun. That's the other thing I didn't know. I always thought people who were in academics would be like super smart and not fun. And they're ridiculously fun. I think you bring that out in people, Allie, quite honestly, but yes, <laughs> they, they, there's fun people in all of those levels for sure. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. So those are all my websites. Thank you. Pleasure. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethherald.com slash professionals.